chapters 14 and 15 of book 5 of History of Animals by Aristotle. Translated by Darcy Wentworth Thompson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 14. Further, animals differ from one another in regard to the time of life that is best adapted for sexual intercourse. To begin with, in most animals, the secretion of the seminal fluid and its generative capacity are not phenomena simultaneously manifested, but manifested successively. Thus, in all animals, the earliest secretion of sperm is unfruitful, or, if it be fruitful, the issue is comparatively poor and small. And this phenomenon is especially observable in man, in viviparous quadrupeds and in birds. For in the case of man and the quadruped, the offspring is smaller, and in the case of the bird, the egg. For animals that copulate of one and the same species, the age for maturity is in most species tolerably uniform, unless it occurs prematurely by reason of abnormality, or is postponed by physical injury. In man, then, maturity is indicated by a change of the tone of voice, by an increase in size and an alteration in appearance of the sexual organs, as also in an increase of size and alteration in appearance of the breasts and above all in the hair growth at the pubes. Man begins to possess seminal fluid about the age of fourteen, and becomes generatively capable at about the age of twenty-one years. In other animals there is no hair growth at the pubes, for some animals have no hair at all, and others have none on the belly, or less on the belly than on the back. But still, in some animals the change of voice is quite obvious, and in some animals other organs give indication of the commencing secretion of the sperm and the onset of generative capacity. As a general rule, the female is sharper toned in voice than the male, and the young animal than the elder, for, by the way, the stag has a much deeper toned bay than the hind. Moreover, the male cries chiefly at rutting time, and the female under terror and alarm, and the cry of the female is short, and that of the male prolonged. With dogs also, as they grow old, the tone of the bark gets deeper. There is a difference observable also in the neighings of horses, that is to say, the female foal has a thin small neigh, and the male foal a small neigh yet bigger and deeper toned than that of the female, and a louder one as time goes on. And when the young male and female are two years old and take to breeding, the neighing of the stallion becomes loud and deep, and that of the mare louder and shriller than heretofore. And this change goes on until they reach the age of about twenty years, and after this time the neighing in both sexes becomes weaker and weaker. As a rule, then, as was stated, the voice of the male differs from the voice of the female, in animals where the voice admits of a continuous and prolonged sound, in the fact that the note in the male voice is more deep and bass, not, however, in all animals, for the contrary holds good in the case of some, as, for instance, in kine, 
For here the cow has a deeper note than the bull, and the calves a deeper note than the cattle. And we can thus understand the change of voice in animals that undergo gelding. For male animals that undergo this process assume the characters of the female. The following are the ages at which various animals become capacitated for sexual commerce. The ewe and the she-goat are sexually mature when one year old, and this statement is made more confidently in respect to the she-goat than to the ewe. The ram and the he-goat are sexually mature at the same age. The progeny of very young individuals among these animals differs from that of other males, for the males improve in the course of the second year, when they become fully mature. The boar and the sow are capable of intercourse when eight months old, and the female brings forth when one year old, the difference corresponding to her period of gestation. The boar is capable of generation when eight months old, but with a sire under a year in age the litter is apt to be a poor one. The ages, however, are not invariable. Now and then the boar and the sow are capable of intercourse when four months old, and are capable of producing a litter which can be reared when six months old, but at times the boar begins to be capable of intercourse when ten months. He continues sexually mature until he is three years old. The dog and the bitch are, as a rule, sexually capable and sexually receptive when a year old, and sometimes when eight months old but the priority in date is more common with the dog than with the bitch. The period of gestation with the bitch is sixty days, or sixty-one or sixty-two, or sixty-three at the utmost. The period is never under sixty days, or, if it is, the litter comes to no good. The bitch, after delivering a litter, submits to the male in six months, but not before. The horse and the mare are, at the earliest, sexually capable and sexually mature when two years old. The issue, however, of parents of this age is small and poor. As a general rule, these animals are sexually capable when three years old, and they grow better for breeding purposes until they reach twenty years. The stallion is sexually capable up to the age of thirty-three years, and the mare up to forty so that, in point of fact, the animals are sexually capable all their lives long, for the stallion, as a rule, lives for about thirty-five years, and the mare for a little over forty, although, by the way, a horse has been known to live to the age of seventy-five. The ass and the she-ass are sexually capable when thirty months old, but, as a rule, they are not generatively mature until they are three years old, or three years and a half. An instance has been known of a she-ass bearing and bringing forth a foal when only a year old. A cow has been known to calve when only a year old, and the calf grew as big as might be expected, but no more. So much for the dates in time at which these animals attain to generative capacity. In the human species the male is generative at the longest up to seventy years, and the female up to fifty, but such extended periods are rare. As a rule the male is generative up to the age of sixty-five, 
and to the age of forty-five the female is capable of conception. The ewe bears up to eight years, and if she be carefully tended, up to eleven years. In fact, the ram and the ewe are sexually capable pretty well all their lives long. He-goats, if they be fat, are more or less unserviceable for breeding, and this, by the way, is the reason why country folk say of a vine when it stops bearing that it is running the goat. However, if an overfat he-goat be thinned down, he becomes sexually capable and generative. Rams single out the oldest ewes for copulation, and show no regard for the young ones and, as has been stated, the issue of the younger ewes is poorer than that of the older ones. The boar is good for breeding purposes, until he is three years of age. But after that age his issue deteriorates, for after that age his vigor is on the decline. The boar is most capable after a good feed, and with the first sow it mounts. If poorly fed or put to many females, the copulation is abbreviated, and the litter is comparatively poor. The first litter of the sow is the fewest in number. At the second litter she is at her prime. The animal, as it grows old, continues to breed, but the sexual desire abates. When they reach fifteen years, they become unproductive and are getting old. If a sow be highly fed, it is all the more eager for sexual commerce, whether old or young. But if it be overfattened in pregnancy, it gives the less milk after parturition. With regard to the age of the parents, the litter is the best when they are in their prime. But with regard to the seasons of the year, the litter is the best that comes at the beginning of winter, and the summer litter the poorest consisting, as it usually does, of animals small and thin and flaccid. The boar, if it be well fed, is sexually capable at all hours, night and day, but otherwise is peculiarly salacious early in the morning. As it grows old, the sexual passion dies away, as we have already remarked. Very often a boar, when more or less impotent from age or debility, finding itself unable to accomplish the sexual commerce with due speed, and growing fatigued with the standing posture, will roll the sow over on the ground, and the pair will conclude the operation side by side of one another. The sow is sure of conception if it drops its lugs in rutting time. If the ears do not thus drop, it may have to rut a second time before impregnation takes place. Bitches do not submit to the male throughout their lives, but only until they reach a certain maturity of years. As a general rule, they are sexually receptive and conceptive until they are twelve years old, although, by the way, cases have been known where dogs and bitches have been respectively procreative and conceptive to the ages of eighteen and even of twenty years. But, as a rule, age diminishes the capability of generation, and of conception, with these animals as with all others. The female of the camel is opisthoretic, and submits to the male in the way above described, and the season for copulation in Arabia is about the month of October. Its period of gestation is twelve months, and it is never delivered of more than one foal at a time. The female becomes sexually receptive, and the male sexually capable at the age of three years. 
after parturition an interval of a year elapses before the female is again receptive to the male the female elephant becomes sexually receptive when ten years old at the youngest and when fifteen at the oldest and the male is sexually capable when five years old or six the season for intercourse is spring the male allows an interval of three years to elapse after commerce with a female and after it has once impregnated a female it has no intercourse with her again the period of gestation with the female is two years and only one young animal is produced at a time in other words it is uniparous and the embryo is the size of a calf two or three months old chapter fifteen so much for the copulations of such animals as copulate we now proceed to treat of generation both with respect to copulating and non-copulating animals and we shall commence with discussing the subject of generation in the case of the testations the testation is almost the only genus that throughout all its species is non-copulative the porphyry or purple murices gather together to some one place in the springtime and deposit the so-called honeycomb this substance resembles the comb only that it is not so neat and delicate and looks as though a number of husks of white chickpeas were all stuck together but none of these structures has any open passage and the porphyra does not grow out of them but these and all other testations grow out of mud and decaying matter the substance is in fact an excretion of the porphyra and the syrinx for it is deposited by the syrinx as well such then of the testations as deposit the honeycomb are generated spontaneously like all other testations but they certainly come in greater abundance in places where their congeners have been living previously at the commencement of the process of depositing the honeycomb they throw off a slippery mucus and of this the husk-like formations are composed these formations then all melt and deposit their contents on the ground and at this spot there are found on the ground a number of minute porphyry and porphyry are caught at times with these animalculi upon them some of which are too small to be differentiated in form if the porphyry are caught before producing this honeycomb they sometimes go through the process in fishing creels not here and there in the baskets but gathering to some one spot altogether just as they do in the sea and owing to the narrowness of their new quarters they cluster together like a bunch of grapes there are many species of the purple murex and some are large as those found off sigeum and lectum others are small as those found in the euripus and on the coast of caria and those that are found in bays are large and rough in most of them the peculiar bloom from which their name is derived is dark to blackness in others it is reddish and small in size some of the large ones weigh upwards of a mina apiece but the specimens that are found along the coast and on the rocks are small-sized and the bloom in their case is of a reddish hue further 
as a general rule, in northern waters the bloom is blackish, and in southern waters of a reddish hue. The murex is caught in the springtime, when engaged in the construction of the honeycomb, but it is not caught at any time about the rising of the dog star, for at that period it does not feed but conceals itself and burrows. The bloom of the animal is situated between the mecon or quasi-liver, and the neck, and the co-attachment of these is an intimate one. In color it looks like a white membrane, and this is what people extract, and if it be removed and squeezed it stains your hand with the color of the bloom. There is a kind of vein that runs through it, and this quasi-vein would appear to be in itself the bloom, and the qualities by the way of this organ are astringent. It is after the murex has constructed the honeycomb that the bloom is at its worst. Small specimens, they break in pieces, shells and all, for it is no easy matter to extract the organ. But in dealing with the larger ones, they first strip off the shell and then abstract the bloom. For this purpose, the neck and mechon are separated, for the bloom lies in between them, above the so-called stomach. Hence the necessity of separating them in abstracting the bloom. Fishermen are anxious always to break the animal in pieces while it is yet alive, for if it die before the process is completed it vomits out the bloom, and for this reason the fishermen keep the animals in creels until they have collected a sufficient number and can attend to them at their leisure. Fishermen in past times used not to lower creels or attach them to the bait, so that very often the animal got dropped off in the pulling up. At present, however, they always attach a basket, so that if the animal fall off it is not lost. The animal is more inclined to slip off the bait if it be full inside. If it be empty, it is difficult to shake it off. Such are the phenomena connected with the porphyra or murex. The same phenomena are manifested by the syrix or trumpet shell, and the seasons are the same in which the phenomena are observable. Both animals also, the murex and the syrix, have their opercula similarly situated, and in fact all the stromboids, and this is congenital with them all and they feed by protruding the so-called tongue underneath the operculum. The tongue of the murex is bigger than one's finger, and by means of it it feeds and perforates conchylia and the shells of its own kind. Both the murex and the syrix are long-lived. The murex lives for about six years, and the yearly increase is indicated by a distinct interval in the spiral convolution of the shell. The muscle also constructs a honeycomb. With regard to the limnostrii, or lagoon oysters, wherever you have slimy mud, there you are sure to find them beginning to grow. Cockles and clams and razorfishes and scallops grow spontaneously in sandy places. The pinna grows straight up from its tuft of anchoring fibers in sandy and slimy places. These creatures have inside them a parasite nicknamed the pinagard, in some cases a small currant, and in other cases a little crab. 
if the pinup be deprived of this pinagard, it soon dies. As a general rule, then, all testations grow by spontaneous generation in mud, differing from one another according to the differences of the material. Oysters growing in slime, and cockles, and the other testations above mentioned on sandy bottoms, and in the hollows of the rocks the ascidian and the barnacle, and common sorts, such as the limpet and the nerites. All these animals grow with great rapidity, especially the murex and the scallop, for the murex and the scallop attain their full growth in a year. In some of the testations, white crabs are found very diminutive in size. They are most numerous in the trough-shaped mussel. In the pinna also is found the so-called pinnagard. They are found also in the scallop and in the oyster. These parasites never appear to grow in size. Fishermen declare that the parasite is congenital with the larger animal. Scallops burrow for a time in the sand, like the murex. Shellfish, then, grow in the way above mentioned, and some of them grow in shallow water, some on the sea shore, some in rocky places, some on hard and stony ground, and some in sandy places. Some shift about from place to place, others remain permanent on one spot. Of those that keep to one spot, the pinny are rooted to the ground. The razorfish and the clam keep to the same locality, but are not so rooted, but still, if forcibly removed, they die. The starfish is naturally so warm that whatever it lays hold of is found, when suddenly taken away from the animal to have undergone a process like boiling. Fishermen say that the starfish is a great pest in the Strait of Pira. In shape it resembles a star as seen in an ordinary drawing. The so-called lungs are generated spontaneously. The shells that painters use are a good deal thicker, and the bloom is outside the shell on the surface. These creatures are mostly found on the coast of Caria. The hermit crab grows spontaneously out of soil and slime, and finds its way into untenanted shells. As it grows it shifts to a larger shell, as for instance into the shell of the nerites, or of the strombus, or the like, and very often into the shell of the small syrinx. After entering a new shell it carries it about and begins again to feed, and by and by, as it grows, it shifts again into another larger one. End of chapter 15